Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Ladies, I swear it was just yesterday when I was announcing the arrival of summer, and now here we are just a few short weeks away from the end of 2022. And if there's one thing I want for everyone listening to my show to do, it's to make sure you take time for you in these final weeks of the year. Carve out the time you need to recharge like it's your job, because it kind of is. All the people we take care of, the people we love and nurture, the friends we interact with, all do better when we show up better. So today's show takes a look at your mindset, your mental health, and more. So here's what's coming up. Just hear those sleigh bells ringing along with the alarm bells in your head as your stress levels move into overload the closer the holidays get. This year, though, the sacred space wants you to shift your mindset early so the holidays not only leave you feeling rested, but prepared to hit the ground running in 2023. Denise Chand joins me to discuss. What happens when one risk-adverse person meets a daredevil? They get married, of course. Danielle Kaplan joins me to share details from her new book, I Married a Thrill Seeker, which shares the true story of her husband Stephen's last solo free-spirited ride in the Yukon that ended horrifically and changed their lives forever in an instant. Anne Brody is here with the latest in entertainment with a look at the menu starring Rafe Fiennes, which gives a new disturbing twist to the phrase, eat the rich. The true and sad story of two Montreal influencers who chase fame and riches and end up in prison in Australia, and the very sweet Slumberland starring Jason Momoa, which is perfect entertainment for the whole family. Allie Payne is here, fresh on the heels of her own ADHD diagnosis, to discuss what ADHD looks like in teens and how to best support kids who have it. Women's mental health has been declining and more and more of us are seeking ways to address it. Thankfully, there is help with Room for Her, a free service that offers digital cognitive behavior therapy for one year. This incredible initiative is being supported by Green Shield Canada, and Mila Lucio, Executive Vice President of Human Resources and Social Impact at Green Shield Canada, joins me to share details. Finally, with the Ford government trying to develop the Greenbelt in Ontario and farmland across the country at risk as well, I thought it would be a good time to re-air an interview I did with Peggy Breckfeld this summer. Peggy is President of the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, which represents over 38,000 farm families across Ontario. She joined me to discuss their homegrown campaign, and we all need to know what's at risk when we lose farmland. It's another full week at What She Said, with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. It's the most wonderful time of the year, and you know why that is. It's not Santa, it's you, ladies. You bring the comfort and joy for your families every year, leading the charge often on everything from presents to entertaining to decorating and cleanup. So how do you steal a piece of that joy you so generously dole out to others for yourself? Denise Chand is here from the Sacred Space with some tips for making this holiday season the best yet for everyone, including you. Welcome back, Denise. I'm so happy to be back and to discuss this topic we're going to be sharing. Yeah, you know, I mean, the thing about the holidays, it is wonderful and we love it, but, and, you know, we build up to it, but there's also a stress component that comes with it. And it would be so nice if we could get through this year without that stress. I totally agree. I mean, the holidays definitely brings joy, it brings happiness, but comes with it, a lot of people feel overwhelmed, they have um, sadness, there's depression, there's anxiety. 
there's so much to do, so much pressures that we put on ourselves, but and we're not able to enjoy the holiday season when we should enjoy a little, at least a little piece of it for ourselves. I really love that you mentioned sadness and depression. You know, we often don't think of those things that come with the holidays, but these are hard times for people who may have lost somebody at this time of year or maybe dealing with, with struggles, personal struggles, and everybody around them is so happy. This, these are difficult things to deal with. So I'm excited to talk about the mindset. Let's share some of the tips you have for getting through this with the right mindset. The mindset that we need to, or we should, we should apply, like starting now, which is going to take us through the holiday season and then launch us into 2023, is a gratitude mindset. And what happens when we have, when we have this gratitude mindset, regardless of the pressures that are around us, regardless of the sadness that is upon our heart, it's not as if a gratitude mindset is going to remove all that. It just what it does, it allows you to shift, shift your focus. It allows you to come out of yourself and starting to acknowledge what you have in your life rather than what you don't have in your life. And once you make that, that start to implement that mindset, and shift your focus, you will see the benefit that will come with that. So that gratitude mindset is what is so important to have. Yeah, it's not about toxic positivity. It's about just recognizing the small things that do go right every day. There is always something that 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 goes right in your day if you if you look for it hard enough. Um, so what are the, some of the benefits though that we get when we start to adopt this mindset? Well, first thing, like there, there is like a lot of benefits with respect to um, our gratitude mindset. The there's scientific um, research that have done what it does for the mental health, how it improves your mental health. So when we start to focus on on what we're grat, what we're grateful for, and again, it doesn't have to be like massive things. It can be something really small, which to other people it would be something small, but to you, it, it just it just warms your heart. It just lights you up inside. So when we start to focus on that, what happens is that we, we you find you'll you'll start to your mind you, your thinking will start to shift, and you'll start to look at stuff more positively. Your focus is on a positive sense rather than negative things. So what what comes when you when you have this gratitude mindset is that believe it or not, it's strengthening your immune system you improve your sleep patterns, you start to feel less lonely and isolated. And um, again, it improves your health where you, you feel this, you're empowered to go to work out, to go to the gym, to exercise, to, to even eat healthy, to go for regular checkups for those who don't want like going to the doctors. Um, you feel more positive and confident. You start to experience more joy and you build stronger relationships these are just some of the benefits, but there's like many benefits that come to just just having this gratitude mindset. This is incredible. These are all really good things that we should have in our lives. So what are some ways then that we can start to implement gratitude into our daily life? I'll just name two, two or three of them because of time. We can start, the best thing to do is to write a gratitude, a grateful letter to somebody. So it, again, it, it does not have to be that somebody bought you a, I don't know, a car or whatever it is. It could, it's something so small. Somebody just every day, somebody's just saying, smiling at you or, or saying good morning. It could be any anything. And you start to write, when you start to write down to that person and you're writing what you're grateful for, you start just focus on that act that person did for you or has been doing for you over a length of time and how it makes you feel. So when you start to write and you're writing it down and you're writing this letter, just keep writing and just focus it, focusing on what they've done. And then obviously it could, it, you could send it by email or you can just send it by conventional, regular, you know, letter mail. And what you find what happens is that you start to, there's a shift that happens and your ships, your, your mindset start to shift and you start to come out of that toxic thinking and you're focusing on positive things, the good things in your life. Um, another thing is a journal, same exact thing. You don't, it's, you write down things that, um, that makes you happy, things that you're grateful for. And you can even go back from your past, go back to your childhood. Remember, to try to remember the good things that happened in childhood. And you write what's happening in your present as well. 
Don't take, you know, good fortunes for granted. And then when you look to your future, you look to that mindset of optimistic attitude towards what 2023 will bring for you. Yeah, I just want to go back to that point too. That the first one you mentioned about writing that thank you note, like obviously that's very good for you, but don't forget what that's doing for the person you're giving it to. And it can be something, you know, I've received messages of gratitude from people on something so minor that I had no idea that I had such a profound effect on them. And it just lifts my heart. It's such a great way to to not only benefit yourself, but benefit the person you're giving to. I, and at, at Christmas, I really can't think of a better time to do that. So I love this tip. That is fantastic. <laughs> I, I totally know and I agree with you because I, I, there are times when I will receive emails or text message from someone and you're not, you're, I'm not even conscious of what I've done for that person. But what I always find that it just works so you know, miraculously, I may feel down that day and then suddenly a text or or uh, email comes in and just thanking you and it just lifts you up to, you're right, the, the recipient of that thank you letter also feels empowered and and then he or she will also write a thank you letter to somebody else that have done something great for them. And I don't know if you if you realize you've done this, but you've brought in a very sort of Dickens feel to this with addressing you know, the past, present, and future. This is literally a Dickens novel right now that we're talking about, <laughs> uh, looking at all those things and attaching a gratitude mindset to those things. What does this mean, though, for 2023 when we do this now? So 2023, everybody, at, around this time of year, a lot of people, what they are looking towards and, and, and causes anxiety and that's pressure is the fact that they look at their life and they're like, okay, have I, have I accomplished everything that I wanted for 2022? And that's what consumes them. And the next thing you know, 2023 hits and they're taking that same weight into 2023. So if we start now, we just came on a Thanksgiving. We start now and we start looking like exactly going back to the past, the present and the future and what we want for the future. And we start looking now, we're preparing ourselves right now. So when 2023 hits, we're prepared. You know, we're already prepared for just to launch what it is and run and just go for whatever it is that we what we want rather than 2023 hits and we're like dredging and then we start doing New Year's resolutions and you're thinking, I want to do this, I want to do that. And you have this weight on your shoulder. But if you go with this gratitude mindset, and you know what, when 2023 hits, I am going to do this. And you'll find that there's a light that, that's inside of you, a fire. You're just, you, you, it's a joy that you just start making your, you know, your goals of what you want to accomplish in 2023. You'll see just a huge difference in your own. You'll be surprised with yourself. That's what you'll, what will happen. Yeah. And it gets, it allows you to get a jump on a little bit because oftentimes we get to January 1st and go, holy cow, I have no uh, set plans for this year. <laughs> so. This really does get you uh, prepared and ready to jump into 2023. Denise, I can't thank you enough. You have a 21-day challenge that people can jump into anytime. They do not have to wait for January 1st. They can find that on Facebook, correct? Yes, they can find it on Facebook um, or they can go onto our website, which is the-sacredspacecoaching.com. And that has all our links or all our different social media. And definitely you want to do the 21-day um, Living Agelessly um, Challenge. That's going to prepare you definitely for 2023. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Denise. Thank you. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. We all know that opposites attract, but what happens when they marry each other? 
My next guest knows this firsthand. A risk-adverse woman, she fell in love and married a bona fide adrenaline junkie, which presented many challenges during their marriage, but none so much as when his pursuit of thrills left them in a life-and-death situation. Danielle Kaplan shares it all in her new memoir, I Married a Thrill Seeker, and joins me now to discuss. Welcome to the show, Danielle. Hi, Candice. What a treat to be here with you. Oh, it's a pleasure. I I, I have to say, I, I can feel what you must go through because I am a bit of an adrenaline junkie. And while it's not, I'm not married to uh, somebody who's risk averse, my daughter is. Uh-huh. So I get this juxtaposition between people uh, very much. What prompted you to write this book? Oh, so much, so complicated. I started collecting the information after Steve's accident because there were so many incredible things that happened. One on the road, which is beyond belief, and then again, his medical journey. And while I was experiencing the medical journey, Steve obviously wasn't cognizant of it because he wasn't responsive, and then he had major cognitive deficits, and my children were in another province. And I was like, I don't want to experience this by myself. I need them to know all about this. So I collected all the texts the emails, the chats, the everything, emailed it to myself thinking I would share it with them. And then I afterwards realized how naive was I? They didn't want to know all that stuff. They just wanted to move on. And then people kept saying to me, that is the most crazy, incredible story. The doctors in the hospital would say, we've never, this is, this is a story that guy from the Yukon, we can't believe what happened to him on the road. And And his medical outcome is beyond belief. And so I just thought it was worth There's so many messages in this book. And also I was in a very unique position in that I was not only his wife, but it was my training. I had worked as a speech pathologist in critical care, in ICUs, neurosurgery, spinal. My husband had a spinal injury and then went into total organ failure. I've had that experience of working with people. So I was a communication, swallowing, and cognitive expert, but I was his wife as well. So I had this very unique perspective that I'm wife and clinician. And the interesting thing was that I became his clinician, his therapist, his advocate, which is hugely important in this book. His rational self, because there were times when he was unable to think or decision make. I was his substitute decision maker. I was his compass because he had no compass, no GPS to direct him. And then when he finally did improve, he got tired of me and he fired me in that role. So it's a fascinating story worthy of sharing. And so did you, through this whole experience then, I mean, prior to this accident, you know, you were risk averse. He was an adrenaline junkie. Have those roles shifted in any way for you? Uh, Do you find you're more risk adverse or (laughs) willing to take a leap? And has he he decided he's sort of, there's no way he's ever going to take risks again? You know, it's funny that because we are who we are and I walk the moderate road. I still do. I still don't take risks. I'm still extremely cautious and I've learned from Stephen, even though in a limited way, you cannot take the thrill out of the seeker. He still finds it in other ways, whether it's on four wheels in his car with his speed or he goes around the city on his little scooter. Um, We did go for therapy at one point before the accident and, you know, even though he now has more empathy for how I feel about his need for challenges, his need to be brave and take risks. So he has more empathy for how I feel and my anxiety. And I do uh, encourage him, validate him, but still we are quite different in with that regard. So what is the lesson you would like people to walk away with then from this book? Yeah, there are actually quite a few lessons. One of them is when you're in crisis, you literally have to live in the moment. I know it sounds so cliched, You can't go back and change the narrative and story as much as you want. You can't look forward because it's too overwhelming, too unpredictable, um, and too unknown. And so you have to be in the now and you have to just go 
basically in a mindful sort of thought, breath by breath, hour by hour, day by day. You also, when you're navigating the medical system, if possible, definitely need a patient advocate because the outcome can be quite significantly different. And Steve was very fortunate to have me in that role. You learn a lot about being a caregiver, and I, I actually indirectly give tips on how to be a better caregiver and what to do, which is huge because we all land up in that role, whether it's family members, parents, spouses, children, you know, how to navigate it. Uh, you should always prepare yourself for those serious life and death issues. Like, what do you both feel? I had to face that. I was his substitute decision maker and I had to make a heart-wrenching decision whether to continue with his life or not. So we need to have those very heavy discussions somehow. Um, the other smaller factors like ICU psychosis, which isn't sort of readily looked on because when people are so ill, you're looking at the medical, physiological, but not those other psychosocial, psychiatric factors. And then I guess one of the biggest lessons, which is such an obvious one, and that is risk has consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. I, I love the whole premise of this book, Danielle. You're a delight. I want people to be able to find the book, uh, you know, and, and enjoy it for themselves. So where can they do that? Yep. So the good thing is we have our, our website up and running. So that's www.imarriedathrillseeker.com. And that gives all the information as well as the photo journey of Steve's trip, which is fascinating. And we are loading the actual medical journey, which is quite incredible. We have those pictures. The book is available on Amazon.ca, Amazon.com, and in a number of bookstores in Canada at Indigo, in the U.S. at Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart. And I can always be reached um, by my incredible publisher, Rebecca Eckler at rebooks.com. Thank you so much for joining me today, Danielle. Thank you, Candice. It was such a pleasure to chat with you. I really enjoyed it. Joining me now for Saturday Night at the Movies is Anne Brody, and this week we've got a little bit of disturbing fiction, disturbing nonfiction, and we round it out with a little sweetness at the end. Let's talk about the menu. Oh man, this is twisted. You know, as, as far as filmmaking goes, it's a brilliant, brilliant, well-executed, gripping film, but oh my word. So it concerns a young couple who goes, who go to a, an island restaurant. It's one of the best in the world. And they pay thousands of dollars for per plate. So they're seated with um, 10 other guests, just a handful. And there's a full kitchen of people working and a chef played by Ray Fine. So um, he's odd. Uh, the bread course comes. There's no bread. Just a, a note, sort of an insulting note to all the diners. And of course, his, uh, his acting out becomes bigger and worse, more shocking to us when at one point he turns around and shoots one of his cooks right in front of everybody. Nobody does anything about it. It's a strange, it's, it's as though these people are hypnotized, but they want their food, you know, that they paid the big money for. So things escalate rather quickly. And while it, it's disturbing as all get out, it's also, you can't take your eyes off it. Um, Yes. So uh, it, these wealthy, submissive diners who don't, who don't do anything to stop him, one does, played by Anna Taylor-Joy, and uh, she has a different outcome from everyone else. So, you know, see it at your peril. It's a good film. It's just really dark. Yeah, I, I don't think I have the stomach for this one, no pun intended. Uh, but uh, for people who, uh, you know, want to eat the rich, this may be the movie for them. So I would say uh, check it out. Um, let's talk about Sugar. This is based on a true story. Uh, still disturbing, but uh, tell me about it. 
oh dear, disturbing, doesn't begin to describe it. These two Montrealers, a couple of young uh, influencers, are at a uh, bar one night. Both of them are at loose ends. They have no money. So the um, they're approached by a stranger who who offers them a free luxury cruise. Apparently, one of the girls met him the day before or something. Just very, very tenuous relationship. And they think about it for five seconds, and then they agree. They just agree to go around the world with this guy on a cruise. So there you go. It's all their fault, really. Off they go to all these ports around North America, South America, and on to Asia and Australia. When don't they find out what it's all about? They hear noises in the ceiling of their stateroom and uh, look up in there and there's millions of dollars worth of cocaine bags. So they hide it, they run it and hide it into the, under the bed of the person who brought them there. And then almost the next thing, they're running for their lives in the jungle, paced by a drug cartel with assault weapons. True story. And on it goes. It's just shocking. And of course, they, um, it's, not, it's not a spoiler. They're in jail. And I think you told me they're still in jail. They are. So, yeah. So it's a cautionary tale. You know, strangers, please be careful. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the big takeaway from this one is if it sounds too good to be true, it is. Uh, you you got to work for those round the trip, round the world trips. And I just I just want to say that uh, this is a Amazon Canada pr- project and it's being shown around the world and it's very obviously Canada to begin with. So cheers on that. All right. Um, let's round it out with some sweetness. Uh, tell me about Slumberland. I think we both like Jason Momoa. He is cute. So. A young girl lives with her father at a lighthouse, really remote. She doesn't have any friends, She's, but she and her father have a wonderful relationship. He educates her, teaches her to play piano. She has a very full life. She knows how to run the lighthouse. So off he goes on a distress call one night and never comes back. So uh, one way or another, she's unable to stay there. She wants to stay there, but I mean, she's just a, an adolescent. So she's taken by her uh dead father's brother from whom he was estranged to live in a teeny weeny little glass condo in the city losing everything that she's grown up with um very tough for her but in some ways she conjures up jason momoa and he's a fantasy creature who is uh explains to her the difference between waking and and uh asleep worlds and he's in the asleep world he doesn't remember who he was awake. He wants to find her father in the world. So, you know, it, it's quite a stretch. Um, they go off on adventure. But I got to say, the two of them have perfect chemistry. They dance, hop around. All of the Toronto's locations, you can, you can recognize them immediately. It was shot here. And that's when Momoa posted all those Instagrams with him at local restaurants and meeting local folks. What a nice person. So that's the story here. It is so uplifting and fun and sweet and silly. All right, excellent. I'm going to watch it simply to see if I can pick up any tips for conjuring up Jason Momoa. <laughs> um, thanks for uh, thanks for this today, Anne. You have more over on what she said talk.com, including reviews of She Said about Harvey Weinstein and The Pact. You got it. All right, thanks so much, Anne. Have a good week. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Fresh on the heels of her own adult ADHD diagnosis, the incredible Allie Payne is joining me this week to discuss what ADHD might look like for your teens and what you can do to help them at home. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so first off, I just want to briefly ask, how do you feel after being diagnosed so late in life with ADHD yourself? I'm going to say validated. 
I feel oh. validated because this is something I've suspected about myself for some time. And I happened to go one of the very thorough routes and actually have my brain scanned via a SPECT scan in Seattle. And so seeing it on a screen is not only undeniable, it's a little unnerving and again, validating. Incredible. Okay. Well, now you are sort of uniquely positioned to actually talk about this uh, in, in teens and how it shows up in teens and what parents can do. So where would you like to start today? Well, I want to start with, first of all, understanding ADHD in the brain. So it is officially now known as ADHD in the DSM-5, which is the giant book of diagnosis, et cetera, used in psychiatry um, and in medicine. It is no longer known as ADD. So I just want to say that that's attention deficit hyperactive disorder is the official name. I do want to say that approximately 40% of those people diagnosed actually have the hyperactive component. About 60% do not, which is why so many uh, uh, teens or even as myself diagnosed late, um, it doesn't show up because I got the H part out the hyperactive part. I was um, uh, highly athletic. I was in two to three sports every day um, and really excelled. So I could, my brain could be calm and compliant in a classroom setting or learning setting because I knew I had outlets coming later. ADHD struggles with focus um, and high levels of detail, okay? Now, I can't say this enough. ADHD is not a choice. It is not an in, it is not a willingness to not pay attention. It is not a super distractibility quality of the brain that if you just tried harder that you wouldn't have this. Um, you can't think away a cardiac diagnosis or disease, can you? Can, can you just try harder and that wouldn't exist in your heart? Well, you see, you can't do the same thing in the brain. So what I need parents to understand is that your child is literally trying the best they can in a brain that is wired differently. This is not them being non-compliant, lazy, irresponsible, and to the degree you're willing to use those labels, you cannot and will not support your team. I have to I have to say though, you know, some of the things you're saying about, you know, ADHD behaviors are teen behaviors and I feel as if if the teen has not had an official diagnosis yes. a parent might be struggling to decide if this is ADHD or normal teen behavior which yes. will require um, you know obviously going to get some sort of assessment uh, yes. to determine what what it is you're actually dealing with here. Right. And that's a great point. The teenage brain, the adolescent brain development, for a time, has the, the brain be very inefficient. It's just very inefficient because of the massive amount of growth that is actually happening. So the adolescent brain is not only growing new hardware, but it is writing all the new software to manage that new hardware at the same time. So it becomes extremely inefficient at focus, uh, environmental cues, just kind of very uh, self-centered, if you will, very self-centered and, and, and kind of slow at processing details. That is normal, correct. The, here's what goes on in the ADHD brain. And again, I had my brain scanned under a couple circumstances, so I actually can prove this now. When an ADHD brain attempts to concentrate, to focus, the irony is brain, blood flow to the concentration centers, the cerebellum, which is here at the back of the brain, and the prefrontal cortex, which is at the front, is removed. It's removed. So the harder they try to concentrate, the less blood flow goes to the concentration centers. That's not their fault. Now, so the teen brain generally, again, inefficient, 
But an ADHD brain, literally, the harder they try to concentrate, the less they can concentrate, which is why workflow or workloads for an ADHD brain are easily overwhelming, although that can happen in a teen brain as well, and why smaller chunks of work are required for an ADHD brain. So for instance, set their phone timer for 15 minutes. I know you might be thinking that's ridiculous, but if they get four chunks of 15 minutes done, isn't that better than staring at the screen for two hours and beating themselves up, telling themselves what a failure they are, how stupid they are, and that they're never gonna get it, than just doing 15 minutes at a time? Also, standing. Physical movement, kinesthetic, um, helps increase blood flow to those focus centers. So if they can have a standing desk or work in work at a bar ledge or something instead of sitting, stationary and focus at a desk will help an ADHD brain. But you're right, there is a lot of crossover. It sounds also like it must be physically and mentally exhausting then to put those intense moments of focus on something if physically, you know, you're literally forcing your body to work harder. So what other tips do you have for parents then who are dealing with kids who have been diagnosed with ADHD? Okay, so as I said, you need to understand that they actually, their brain is doing the opposite that it's supposed to do. So you have to work within that. So short periods of time that fall under the tripwire of that level of overwhelm, ADHD gets overwhelmed very quickly, and they need very short periods of focus, you can get a lot of 15 minute sections done with a five minute break. Um, Activity is imperative um outdoor if possible but 20 minutes a day of activity helps to balance the adhd brain um adhd brains often crave carbs i found this out because the brain is trying to work so hard to do something that it is currently not wiring to do that it takes more energy so um complex carbs have good complex carbs as much as possible in the house for snacks uh sleep Sleep is imperative for an ADHD brain. And I know that's really hard with teens. I strongly recommend turning off the Wi-Fi or access to certain apps uh, by 1130 um, at night, especially on school nights, in order to get significant sleep. Um, I also want you to know that ADHD supplements, natural supplements, I am two days into natural supplements and literally already feel better in my brain in a way that is very difficult to describe. It's a stillness that I don't know if I can describe. So anxiety is often quite high. Um, That medication in the ADHD brain, if you're going the prescription medication route, which is fine, can take trial and error. And that ADHD medications lift the dopamine in the brain, which helps with focus and task initiation to start getting things done, but they can lower serotonin in the brain, which can initiate symptoms of depression. So you have to be really careful and vigilant to work with your child's caregiver to be revisiting prescriptions and checking with your teen because teenagers will often avoid taking ADHD medication, number one, because they feel that that is literally the confirmation that they're broken, stupid, and will never accomplish anything. Um, That number two, they won't take the medication because it makes them feel numb. They feel numb and nothing. And that is a sign that that's not the right medication or if the dosage may need to be adjusted, unfortunately, our brains are very unique and it is a trial and error thing not to be given up on. All right. Uh, this is really informative for people, but honestly, we don't have enough time in 10 minutes to get to it all. So people are just going to have to chase you down and follow you because I know you, you share a lot of information on all of your channels about this uh, topic in particular and how trauma can actually affect ADHD as well. You have a video on that. So where can people find out more, Allie? Uh, they can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Ali Payne. Uh, my YouTube channel, which you mentioned, which I have a whole video on this is Ali Payne and my website, AliPayne.com. All right. Incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you.
been a silver lining from the pandemic, it's that conversations in and around mental health have been normalized and women are more eager than ever to seek help. The flip side though is that demand has far outstripped supply when it comes to therapists, which is why I'm so pleased to be joined by my next guest, Mila Lucio, Executive Vice President of Human Resources and Social Impact at Greenshield Canada. As part of the social impact portfolio she is involved with is Room for Her, a non-for-profit initiative offering free mental health resources to women across Canada. Mila, this is my favorite F word. I am so thrilled that you're here to, to share with us about Room for Her. So tell me all about it. So thank you, Candice, and thank you for having me. Uh, we at Green Shield are very excited about this signature program that we're offering as well. We launched it back in November of 2021, and it was really focused on what can we do to continue to support women in the workplace um, that are feeling much more negative impacts as a result of COVID. You know, one quick stat I can throw out there is 100,000 women left the workforce due to caregiver responsibilities during the pandemic. So we knew they were disproportionately advantaged. And because our focus has always been around mental health and oral health when it comes to our social impact initiatives, we really wanted to do something that was combining both of those focuses. So we launched Room for Her 2021, and we launched it by providing 10,000 free hours of therapy to any Canadian woman that felt that they wanted to reach out and be able to uh, access that service. And since then, we've just continued to grow the resources that we've got available through Room for Her. And so this year, we were really excited to be able to launch our, um, our portal uh, our hub that provides additional resources. So things ranging from uh, videos, um, written materials, thought leader position papers, and as well the ability for women also to be able to access um, digital therapy, um, self-guided therapy online. So we're providing a thousand extra therapy hours and 10,000 free one-year subscriptions uh, to anybody that wants to go to that website, uh, which is roomforher.ca, and be able to access all of the services that are provided through that online portal. So this is this is an incredible uh, thing that you're offering to women. Uh, when people go to the website, so you said it's digital. There is so they there's no interaction with a real therapist through this this is all online sort of a DIY walk you through uh, cognitive behavior therapy right that's right that's right so uh, anybody that takes up the one-year subscription what they get is the ability to do self-guided therapy that puts them in the driver's seat of their mental health and well-being and so it's available online or through the mobile companion app and it includes these digital uh, cognitive behavior behavioral therapy lessons and some skill-based exercises that help people to reduce and manage um, some of the symptoms that they might be experiencing, like anxiety or depression or other mental health concerns. And what's the feedback you've been receiving for women who have taken advantage of this uh, last year? Because you launched it in 2021, correct? Right. Yeah. Right. Very positive, Candice. So again, there is a number of different things that we put out there under Room for Her. Um, the uptake on the three free therapy hours that we started offering in 21, uh, we have had positive health outcomes coming from that. Um, the signature um, event that we do, we've done it now once a year, last year and this year. This year really has significant feedback. Um, the conversations that we had in that room uh, were very real, very vulnerable from the panel of speakers that we had speaking. And we've actually saved that recording and have it accessible to women to access as well because just listening to those panels of speakers and hearing their stories um, and for women to know that they're not alone and you've got successful women that struggle with mental illness and are willing to share their journeys to help others so that's like another um, another element of our Room for Her program in addition to what can be accessed on the website. 
Yeah, I, I can't stress enough how wonderful it is to normalize this conversation because everybody has struggled with mental health. Uh, so I, I love that you are bringing this to Canadian women for free at a time when we all could benefit from it. And it only benefits society when we help each other like this. So uh, kudos to Green Shield uh, and Room for Her. And uh, I believe I saw ink blot therapy there as well, correct? Yes, Inkblot um, is the um, service delivery agent for us. So they're part of um, the Green Shield Group companies. And so they're the ones that are actually doing, providing the services uh, under room for her. All right, incredible. Mila, I can't thank you enough. So if you could please uh, share where women can find out more uh, and, and get involved with this. Yes, absolutely, Candice. Again, the best way to get involved and to access these services is to go right online and access roomforher.ca, all lowercase and roomforher.ca. Incredible. We're, I, well, I have to say, I, I preemptively called all my girlfriends last night before conducting this interview with you to let them know where to go. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to put it in the liner notes, though, for everybody listening today. It'll be up on podcast, but I encourage women to take advantage of this. It's incredible. Thank you so much, Mila, and thank you to Green Shield. Thank you, Candice. with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Where our food comes from matters especially when that food comes from Ontario farms. Our food security relies on a strong agricultural sector that can get food from the farm to your dinner table without the hassle of international travel, trade disputes, or unforeseen events like, I don't know, a global pandemic, shutting down cross-border travel. And that underscores one unalienable truth. You cannot farm without farmland. Peggy Breckfeld is the president of the Ontario Federation of Agriculture, which represents over 38,000 farm families across Ontario. She farms in northern Ontario with her husband and family near Thunder Bay, and she joins me now to discuss how the homegrown campaign has evolved from advocacy into a broader awareness campaign to highlight the importance of preserving farmland to support the production of local foods, fibers, fuels, and flowers. Welcome to What She Said, Peggy. Great to be here, Candice. So, I mean, this is a huge issue. We're seeing farmland disappearing all over the place. Uh, is this part of what you're, you're trying to stop? Yeah, between the last two censuses that we have official data from, we were losing 175 acres a day to development. And uh, what that looks like is 133 football fields or um, a huge amount of carrots. I mean, you just think about that football field and what you could grow there. Um, we can do a lot of things inside of containers or under glass. We grow some great tomatoes and cucumbers and things, microgreens, but really uh, the wheat, that is the toast on your table in the morning and the jam, the strawberries that grow, those things are so often grown in fields. And so we need to protect farmland. So there's there's obviously, you know, um, people will say, well, people have to live somewhere. So how do we how do we address this? Well, I, I think you bring up a great point, and that is we often think this is just a rural issue, but it isn't. It's a bigger uh, solution. And the solution often comes from urban areas doing great land use planning. You know, cities actually were normally built around places where there was water uh, good arable land and shelter. And so they were naturally near the farming communities. Um, but as we grow a city, we have to look at great options like building in and up, building complete communities and renewing and reviewing those uh, urban footprints so that we use that land to the best of its ability. So people have great places to live and walkable communities and we protect the very food that is going to be on their plate. 
And food is going to be a major issue in the coming uh, decades with climate change. And so is this something that you speak to as well? Certainly. Uh, as farmers, we feel climate change quite regularly and certainly extreme weather events. And so we know the importance of um, having a great uh, and healthy agricultural community. We need to grow. So some of it is going to be in research. What's the best plants can, that can do drought resistant, et cetera. But beyond that, it's a conversation about how uh, we grow food for the world. Um, the best food is grown in Ontario. I recommend you reach out and have a glass of milk or uh, taste the pickles that somebody has made or uh, even even mushrooms, such a, such a earthy taste there. I think there's um, so much variety and excitement about what Ontario grows and you can access it locally. Right. And then, you know, of course, there's the whole issue as well as, you know, it's concerning when you're transporting goods, you know, obviously from miles and miles and miles away to get to your table. Uh, so what's next then for, for you? Well, what we started with was actually talking with farmers. And then, you know, at some point that it has to be bigger conversation than that. And so we've been engaging through the homegrown campaign to really have that conversation about um, citizens that don't live in rural Ontario that can make a difference. Uh, we started with a, a goal of 10,000 signatures, and we are over 31,000 signatures right now in one year. Um, the number keeps growing of people who are engaged in the conversation of how do you ensure that farms are viable? You buy local food. How do you ensure that um, farmland is protected? Do you make great land use plans and strategic building? Okay. Peggy, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, this is incredibly important uh, topic and, and, and um, movement that you've started here. So I want people to be able to connect with you and follow along, keep up with all your good work. So where can they do that? Well, you can certainly start the conversation at homegrown.ca. And if you ever have questions about agriculture and farming and rural life, don't be afraid to reach out on our website to ofa.on.ca. It's a great place to uh, have those safe conversations. And if we can't help you, we know people that can. <laughs> yeah. And this is my favorite time of year, Peggy, because this is when all the great food in Ontario really starts to come forward. So I am excited about the summer season. Uh, so thanks so much for joining me today. Great to talk. That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com.